0: Greetings my friend, we are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives, and remember my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. (laughs)
1: Red Brown Zombies, the stories so far. This radio play serial was written by Ani White with contributions from Derek Johnson, inspired by a concept created by Daphne Lawless, performed by Derek Johnson and Ani White, and edited by Lydia Grigorut and Ani White. Part 1, Cabin in the Woods, November 2020, Timeline Z1
2: You check the kitchen. I'll check the radio to see if there's any news. Oh, this radio, uh, it has a tape deck. All right. Uh, somebody left the tape. Oh. Do you want to play it? All right, um, okay, so I'm gonna check the radio. that everybody stays calm at the current moment, for there is a zombie apocalypse currently happening on the west coast. Do stay inside,
3: and do not go out under any circumstances. If any zombies happen to get into your house,
2: shoot them in the head, or remove the head from the brain. We insist, do not leave your houses. Thank you very much for your
3: cooperation.
2: Shit, looks like it's happening everywhere too bad you came to visit now of all times. I guess society is too sick to survive. At least they'll eat the rich. I'm gonna see if this tape is anybody else's analog podcast. HOLY SHIT! Sounded Sumerian. I don't know, maybe Hittite. The kitchen's
4: pretty well stocked, food and drink-wise anyway. biggest problem is this place doesn't have a double bed. Only two ready singles. Never
2: mind the beds. You have a one-track mind, hon. The biggest problem is we don't have enough boards for all the windows. I mean, we're literally surrounded by cannibal corpses. That was a good band sex and death is a horror classic isn't it
4: at least it's a way to rationalize our inevitable pointless demise and a quantum of solace before the end that
2: movie sucked <laughs> we're gonna survive this then we will find a double bed ow a
4: that's an incentive to get through this
2: but quantum of solace is underrated
4: bond defecting to fight a coup and land grab in bolivia badass. You're
2: entitled to be wrong. Should we get on to recording? Yeah. Romero retrospective? Yep, cool.
4: Uh, Got the script here. Here are your
2: pages. Uh, Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Let's see. Alright, let's get recording.
4: On my mark, three, two, one.
2: Good evening, listeners. Well, It's evening here, anyway. Uh, Wishing you well, whatever time it is there. I hope you're safer than us, somewhere fortified. Uh, We found our way to a cabin in the woods, but we're surrounded. We thought
4: we'd be safe in the middle of nowhere, less plentiful meat to attract the creeps. But they're pretty dumb, and don't necessarily have a good sense of human geography. Ten followed us here because we were moving and alive. This may be our last broadcast.
2: Fortunately, we got a couple of shotguns from a dead militia prepper.
4: Good riddance. It wasn't the rotters that got him, by the way.
2: Unprepared preppers. <laughs> uh, let's let's edit that out and not incriminate, incriminate eh, ourselves. It's not
4: like there's much of a police force left. Again, good riddance.
2: A cab. All cats are beautiful. Anyway, our ammo is limited, and we're trapped. To pass the time, we're going to do a retrospective on the definitive Living Dead series by George A. Romero. Rest in peace, he passed away on July 16th, 2017.
4: Yeah, this doesn't exactly qualify as keeping our minds off the problem, but it will at least keep our minds lively. Before we get onto the Romero retrospective, I just want to recommend some 21st century zombie flicks from places other than the U.S. of A. First of all, Train to Busan is an excellent Korean rage zombie movie with a satirical edge, possibly my favorite zombie movie of this century.
2: Zombies don't run.
4: I think rage zombies are a legitimate new generation, just like Romero zombies are distinct from voodoo zombies. Turns out Romero shambling is more true to life than running, though. Anyway, shortly after Train to Busan, there was an anime prequel called Soul Station, which is weaker overall, but does expand on the social commentary. And finally, there's Ojuju, a Nigerian zombie movie. It's a bit rough and ready in terms of acting and production, but purely by dint of setting it's a novel take on the genre. Uh, Derek will be pleased to hear it has accurate shambling zombies rather than range space. Uh, and there's also a character named Romero, uh, and it also has some pretty solid gore. You can find that on TV, which is an Afrocentric streaming site. Anyway, moving on to Romero. Yay!
2: How are you so bad at shooting? You're American. I'm getting better. (laughs) Die, you shambling shithead! Yes. See, that was my first one-shot headshot.
4: Congratulations. How do we cover that window? Pause it! That'll do. Phew. Did that Z-word look like Slavoj Žižek?
0: And I say that uh, today the situation is getting more complex and I really think that so-called alt-right, especially in the United States and in some other countries, change the rules because, is it the book by that Irish girl who now lives in uh, New York, Uh, I met her there in Brooklyn even, Angela Nagle, or what? He wrote a book, you should have it, uh, Kill All the Normies. His idea is that what half a century ago was a typical left subversive attitude, you know. The institutional power is severe, strict, speaks with decent uh, terms. We should provoke, take dirty jokes, use F word, all this subversive marginal culture tradition. But he said, what happens now is, it's not symmetrical inversion, but almost an inversion. Old right now behaves as formally as the new counterculture, and the horror is that the left, whatever remains of it, took refugee in political correctness, in helpless moralism and so on and so on.
2: It was Shek. He just happened to be biting someone to make a point. So,
4: should we edit that interruption or keep it?
2: Yeah, I'll take a listen. Uh, it, it could be pretty badass. I mean, I got it. we both got shots off. Yeah. You probably won't get a chance to edit, though. Uh, what do I keep telling you, babe? Okay, we will
4: have a chance to edit. And then you'll fuck my brains out in a comfy bed. Correct. At least we took some out. Three down, seven to go. How many shells you got? Uh two. I've got four. Let's split them. Three each. We better be pretty precise, but even then it's six set shells against seven walkers.
2: Any other weapons in
4: here? Kitchen has nothing good. Butter knives.
2: Damn. Yeah, I, I could just imagine sawing off a revenant's head with a fucking butter knife. Got to be good stuff in the shed, uh, but our friends are in the way. Uh, let's just record for now.
4: Okay, I'm going to put some coffee on. You start.
2: Well, uh, we're back, listeners, uh, and we're going to start our Romero retrospective with 1968's classic, Night of the Living Dead. I Not like the assholes outside. What else can be said? Uh, this is the revolutionary first movie in an entire subgenre and still holds up. Uh, filming in black and white and the industrial filming background of Romero and his crew uh, gave it this uh, timeless documentary look because I, I checked out uh, watching it in a very good color version and it just, the black and white is still superior. And it, it's a shame that uh, Diary could not have. Uh, been better in that regard, because you would think, given the documentary look of this one, that Romero would know how to shoot a documentary. Uh, Romero said that uh, casting a black lead was not intentionally political over over and over. He said, uh, or that the movie has any deeper subtext than any obvious social commentary of the time, or whatever. But I, I think there is socio political subtext given the period, and then obviously the casting of Dwayne Jones and uh, then being released after the assassination of Martin Luther King. So, and uh, you know, maybe some of the subtext is just more generational and it's, it's very hard not to see the race politics in it now. And again, intentional or otherwise, because that racial lead just led the dynamic change, especially uh, with the, the old white man that, that uh, Dwayne Jones rewrote his dialogue for uh, because Ben uh, was meant to be this blue-collar, white trucker, and he just kind of tweaked it a little to, to his uh, sensitivities and sensibilities. And uh, Romero said the subtext of the movie was really more about disintegration of the family unit and the disintegration of society, and the breakdown in communication, and how they they couldn't cooperate. These characters because of that breakdown in cooperation. And uh, Romero admitted that he was loosely inspired by *I Am Legend* by Richard Matheson, and its bad adaptation *The Last Man on Earth*, starring Vincent price but his focus was not on the last man in a world of vampires or whatever but instead on how civilization would collapse like on that first night in in, you know such a scenario and he wanted to create a new movie monster and created a new subgenre and the modern conception of zombies he called them ghouls in night but embraced that they were zombies in dawn And that was actually the first movie to actually call them zombies uh, within his series. Under Romero's own rules, he has said that his do not eat brains or run. And he wrote Barbara Stronger in the 1990 Tom Savini remake to make up for the original being a catatonic damsel compared to how strong the female characters were in his other movies. Night and Dawn both have black protagonists. Night has a good central conflict between the black lead Ben and the paranoid white man Harry Cooper, who is an idiot. Uh, listening to the actor on the commentary was uh, surreal and funny. Uh, in in the end, uh, they were both kind of right on on some on tactics, but not at the right times, and they didn't cooperate because they wouldn't listen to each other. But uh, the old guy ultimately got everybody killed. He he wouldn't let Ben in the door at the right times and things like that. And he chickened out at different points. And I would say everything went downhill from when he threw the uh, Molotov cocktail. But again, he should have just listened to Dwayne Jones' character and stayed upstairs and fortified it as much as possible uh, but the you know but ending you know showed that the basement uh, may have been a good fallback, and even Romero said that that both of them were wrong in a ways, but in that one, Romero said that Ben was actually wrong, and Harry was correct about the basement, but their breakdown in communication and their conflict killed them all and I always wondered why they just didn't go on the roof. But uh, I, I was—I also want to recommend The Night of the Living Dead, the Criterion Collection Blu-ray 4K Special Edition. If you can find a copy at this point, it had a new 4K digital restoration from the original negative and the new re- uh, restoration on the monaural soundtrack supervised by George Romero and crew. And for such an old movie and in black and white and everything entailed, the restoration really enhanced the picture, and the sound was great. And it has tons of features I won't go into here, but uh, it has a great doc featuring filmmakers Frank Darabont, who started The Walking Dead TV show, uh, Guillermo del Toro and Robert Rodriguez, uh, two audio commentaries from 94 featuring Romero and others, and there was a very good archival interview from 2012 with romero and wayne jones from the 80s before he passed away in the late 80s and uh, there was a great video essay even by the maker of the the old youtube videos uh, every frame of painting and uh, not only did knight end up in uh, the museum of modern art but knight was also selected in 1999 by the uh, Library of Congress for preservation of the National Film Registry along other films deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And I believe when, when they're done with those they put them like in a missile silo or, or some kind of underground uh, safe or whatever to keep them s- safe in the location. And so anybody who could get down there into the archives can not watch this movie in the actual zombie apocalypse. So I give the Night of the Living Dead a 10 out of 10.
4: Yeah, I never was into the cellar as an idea. The only exit is also the zombie entry. Uh, um, how do you take your coffee? Black as the night. We're opposites on that. I take three sugars and milk. Or well, powder milk in this case. Monster. True. Dolores Umbridge also took three sugars and milk. Tea, not coffee, though. Enjoy as much as you can enjoy instant. Also ginger nuts.
2: Thanks, Masura.
4: Happy to serve, Godzilla.
2: Do you think hot coffee would work as a weapon? Anything's worth a try, but they don't seem to feel pain. Remember when I deballed that deadhead? He just kept going. Didn't miss a beat.
4: Yeah, that is a high pain threshold. His moans after did sound pretty pathetic, though. Uh,
2: True, he didn't sound like the happiest ghoul. Anyway, back to our Romero retrospective. Uh, Next up... uh, Let me see. uh, Is... 1978's Dawn of the Dead, of course, uh, will be alternating these reviews. Uh, Ani?
4: Yeah, so this one, like Night, is held in very high regard. I actually don't love it as much as some do. Um,
2: Blasphemy.
4: So, yeah, it's basically it's a long series of chases and shootouts, and there's I kind, of, I kind of feel like there's less development of the concept than you get in some other Romero entries, but it is a very good movie it's just not quite uh, a 10 out of 10 on night's level for me uh, and I think the choice of a shopping mall as a setting is what really makes this one so the zombie horde unavoidably of course looks like mindless brainwashed consumers it's not the subtlest take and the whole wake up sheeple thing is a bit dubious in class terms but it's so effective visually that it just resonates and elevates the movie. The action and makeup are excellent, as usual for Romero and Savini. Also, like the first, another black lead, which is nice. His granddad was into voodoo, which is a nice reference to pre-Romero voodoo zombies. Uh, I'll give Dawn a solid 8 out of 10. The remake by Zack Snyder is is actually kind of... Fun too. <laughs> I kind of enjoy it. It's it's his best, and I'd say his least worst. Uh, I mean, the, it's got a good soundtrack. Uh, the, using both the disturbed and Richard Cheese versions of "Down with the Sickness" is kind of a great move. So it's just fun, but dumb. I think.
2: Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was some there was good music. I'll give it that. But yeah, I liked it except for the running lack of satire and of course the escape by boat in a landlocked state
4: yeah that's fair so next up is 1985's day of the dead derek
2: right uh, a small group of military officers and scientists dwell in an underground bunker in florida as the world above is overrun by zombies the imbalanced and tyrannical captain rhodes played by Joe Pilato, seizes power when their commander of, of the base uh, died, uh, bringing about a clash of crazed military versus crazed scientist Dr. Logan, played by uh, Richard uh, Liberty, uh, rest in peace. And uh, the people, Sarah, played by Laurie Cardale, uh the helicopter pilot, Uh, John, Terry Alexander, and their alcoholic friend, William, played by Jarloth Conroy, caught in between. And all the zombies outside, of course, and the base is very claustrophobic, and I think this is probably the bleakest in the series by then. And uh, Romero described the film as, quote, "...a tragedy about how a lack of human communication causes chaos and collapse." even in the small little pie slice of society. The increasingly unhinged Dr. Logan's pet zombie Bub played by Howard Sherman is the smartest zombie so far in the series, though they have always used tools. Here we see guns are possible and even domestication and eating things besides humans, though, I think he is caught eating uh, what the the caught Dr. Logan feeding him human remains, and things go downhill from there. Uh, I don't like it as much as uh, Night and Dawn, but I have come to respect its place in the series. Romero famously fought for it to be unrated rather than R, which cost the budget needed money. Uh, he made the movie he wanted at that level, but it could have been greater on a bigger budget. And the best death still in the series up to that point still goes up to Rhodes. And uh, it was played by the late uh, Joseph uh, Pilato, who also had a small part in Dawn. And uh, he he said in a recent interview at a horror convention that uh, he based his character on all the asshole MPs that severely beat him when he was protesting the Vietnam War, and it was a big fuck you to the military and the machismo of military. And, yeah, he passed away in last year in 2019. I give it a uh, 7 out of 10. I grade it on a curve because it was held back from being... Uh, from being better by things beyond the filmmakers.
4: Yeah, I love of uh, the Dead for the political and ethical themes. Plus, the action and the makeup effects are, I think, solid despite the budget. Uh, I agree it's no night or dawn, but that's a high bar. There's a nice subtle touch where cross gravestones are accompanied by a Star of David gravestone. It's kind of lovely how Romero is so humanist, yet so despairing of human cruelty. It's somehow never misanthropic, even in this one, where both science and the military as the rival human forces are cruel. It's not like science, good, military, bad. They're both kind of cruel in competing ways, yet it somehow manages to not be misanthropic in the process. Meanwhile, uh, elsewhere in the 80s, you had Return of the Dead, uh, a loving parody of the Romero verse, which is actually a classic in itself, and introduced the concept of zombies liking...
5: Fuck.
2: Ah! Fuck! Should we be worried about that? Nah, it's it's a tiny window, just an arm. Uh, let's not waste ammo. Uh, we'll we'll worry if the rest of the body gets in. Still
4: scary. Can we hug, please? Of course, Masorda. Thanks, Gogeta. I needed that. It's my turn, but uh, any chance you could do the next review?
2: Yeah, have some coffee and recharge. Thank you. Right. uh, Okay, uh, next up is Land of the Dead, the first 21st century entry, released in 2005. Uh, Let's see, Romero uh, lived in Toronto at this point, he uh, became a dual citizen by the end. And uh, d- he directed this fourth uh, dead movie in Toronto, uh, Land of the Dead, released in 2005. The movie's working title was originally Dead Reckoning. And uh, I think de- Death of the de- Death of Death, I think, was another one. too. So, and uh, actors Simon Baker, Dennis Hopper... Asia Argento and John Leguizamo starred and the film was released by Universal Pictures who had just last year released the Dawn of the Dead remake with uh, uh, his partner that made the movie without him, his former partner, and uh, I guess they were kind of riding the the tide of that movie's success and figured, why don't we just give the original George Romero the originator of the genre his own movie just continue well the film received generally positive reviews i loved this one uh, in early in an early uh, screening that i saw it was a nearly empty theater unfortunately that i was in and i'm disappointed that it bombed at the, the box office at the time and really hurt his career and the rest of the series at that point and you know with all the movies in the genre and remakes of his series and all the credit romero has gotten as a filmmaker and a master of horror and the father of the zombie nobody bothered to see his fucking movie and uh, I, I think this would uh, be the best way to end the series actually this this actual one and you know it, it is the most hopeful for the future and it is seemingly saying that life and death or undeath can coexist on some level. And it's a shame to learn also that in the script, the lead was black, but Universal refused to let him cast a black actor. So he cast the lead zombie with a black actor. And uh, Leguizamo was literally a gr- uh, gravedigger for capitalists. And uh, I give it uh, 10 out of 10. And I wonder really how the whole series would look in black and white to match Knight.
4: Yeah, it's a solid, intelligent B-movie with a pretty thrilling political... The allegory. I agree. I'm, I'm a fan. And that lead zombie is a great character. He, uh, his development of consciousness is pretty fascinating. Uh, and As we've indicated, the Romero movies are shot through with social commentary. And This is probably the most overtly radical in its portrayal of revolution, though not the best
2: overall. That would be night in my books. So if the undead are the insurgent working class, as Land indicates, does that make us counter revolutionaries? Maybe. Are we the baddies? Uh, maybe the stenches are the lumpen proletariat. Sadly, the quality of land would not continue through Romero's other 21st century zombie flicks, which brings us to 2007's Diary of the Dead. The
4: Yeah, Diary was part of the found footage shaky cam craze. The clunky didactic social commentary is very typical of postmodern horror. Romero, at this point, seems like less of a genre leader than a follower. Why do characters in found footage movies tend to be so distinctly annoying? In this case, kind of talking direct to camera about the messages of the film. It has some decent zombie action, but sadly, it's pretty lame overall. I was hoping it'd be better on rewatch after a few years, but it really wasn't. It was more didactic than I remembered. Uh, And the only part that had any memorable impact on me personally, uh, which was quite political, uh, was the epilogue, which was a pretty bleak depiction of a zombie getting lynched. And I felt like, in that case, rather than just having people talk to camera about why media bad or something it sort of visualized the themes quite effectively so if this recording ever reaches the internet we'll we'll link a youtube excerpt in the description of just that that great epilogue but diary gets a disappointing three out of ten for me i'd recommend the spanish movie wreck for a better found footage zombie movie that shit was terrifying
2: so you'd wreck wreck
4: yes i would wreck wreck so how about 2009? Survival of
2: the Dead? All right. Uh, Survival of the Dead was a 2009 American horror film written and directed by the great George A. Romero and starring Alan Van Sprang, Kenneth Welsh, and Kathleen Monroe. It was the sixth entry now in Romero's Night of the Living Dead series, and the story followed a group of AWOL National Guardsmen who briefly appeared In the previous movie, Diary of the Dead, these National Guardsmen, thinking they've found refuge from a zombie army on an island off the coast of Delaware, strangely populated by Irish people, soon realize they've wedged themselves between two feuding clans of the living, Sarge Crockett played by Von Sprang, and his crew thought, again, they had that safe refuge when they cross paths with Patrick O'Flynn, played by Kenneth Welsh, who had actually been banished from Plum Island, where his family is locked in this long-time quarrel with the other family that is called the Muldoons. The O'Flynns see the Flesh Eaters as subhuman and kill them, Whereas the Muldoons are horrified at killing their flesh-eating relatives, instead hiding them until scientists can find a cure. The film proved to be the last uh, film Romero directed before his death in 2017. I'm not a fan, to say the least, of the found footage genre. Because the format creates too many logical holes. So I'm glad uh, Romero returned to the classic format. Unfortunately, he wanted more humor and some crazy CGI enhanced kills, like the mu- much more successful Zombie Land and Shaun of the Dead. And the CGI used in this movie is subpar, even for that period. And it makes the kills look very cartoony like fx guys playing around on youtube and th- this whole element of the movie is just very embarrassing at this point point. and uh, alan von spring previously played a soldier in land and his character and his crew seems like a remake of the dead reckoning crew right down to their nicknames uh, the film was inspired by the 1958 William Wyler Western film, The Big Country. Uh, nothing wrong with the story or characters, particularly. It's just so bland as a movie. It's totally flat, but it had potential. And that, that's, that's what's just so, uh, what, what's a shame about it. Uh, the plan was to follow it up. With two back-to-back sequels, and I I rate it a 4 out of 10 for not being found footage and having potential, but still sucking.
4: Yeah, like you mentioned, the random Irish characters on an island off the US were a bit strange. It's not impossible, but it was odd. And after Romero included Irish bit players among a sea of Americans in both day and land, I wonder if he has a thing for Irish accents, which would be understandable. Uh, Because it is a bit random. Uh, As with any Romero, this had some decent ideas, uh, like the two rival patriarchs who were both wrong. Uh, The, again, closing shot, uh, where they end up as zombies dueling Western-style in front of the full moon, which is kind of in keeping with Romero's portrayal of zombies as automatons, continuing actions they carried out in life, which kind of blurs the lines between... living living and undead Uh, but also like a a lot of the later ones this was kind of an uninspired execution of these decent ideas as you say it's just kind of bland Uh, the last time binging the series I watched it backwards so it improved as it went well yeah survival survival diary land day dawn night that's that's definitely an upwards curve isn't it
2: Yes, yeah, so I, d- I think you think you, this probably applies to most uh, franchises, I guess, that get worse as they go on. Yeah,
4: it's a good technique uh, to, um, yeah, if you've already seen the series once and you know it gets worse, watching it backwards, it, watching it backwards means that it ends on a high note. But it's, as I say, it's more of a rewatch thing because, you know, it could be confusing if it if it's your first watch, obviously.
2: It's less confusing than Star Wars Shotgun Order. All right, so yeah, as far as Legacy, uh, this was a a great series that sadly peters out towards the end, and, you know, there was one more on the way of the two. Uh, George Romero presents Road of the Dead that looked like a cross between Death Race 2000 and Mad Max, a rollerball. and, uh, you know, it would have involved what Romero called a sanctuary city for the living, where this fat cat runs a haven for rich folks, and one of the things that he does is stage drag races to entertain them, he told Rue Rue Morgue magazine. Uh, He continued, uh, there's a scientist, uh, they're doing uh, genetic experiments, trying to make the zombies stop eating us and he has discovered that with a little tampering they can recall certain memory skills that enable them to drive in these races it's really the fast and the furious with zombies that that is very odd and romero died three days later leading to reports questioning if the film will ever be made. So far, a comic book uh, prequel has been done through IDW, but I think the connection to Romero's movie has kind of been minimized. His son, uh, Cameron, also uh, was working on uh, Rise of the Living Dead, which would have been a prequel to the series, finally explaining where the zombie plague originated. Uh, The Walking Dead conquered comics and TV and is seen by many as a worthy successor as it brought a new wave of zombie material to comics, uh, including the Marvel Zombie series, which I'm not very much a fan of, and uh, more flesh-eater TV and movies. But uh, Romero turned down, actually, directing an episode of The Walking Dead as he criticized the show as nothing more than a soap opera with zombies and nothing to say. Uh, the dead series also expanded into comics itself, uh, even written by Romero in 2004. Romero started the new DC comics title toe tags, which featured the works of different creative luminaries of horror and sci-fi. And, uh, Romero was the first to go and uh, Toe Tags started with a six-issue miniseries titled The Death of Death. And I believe that was also the movie within the movie of Diary as well, The Death of Death. And uh, it's, this was actually based on an unused script that Romero had previously written for his Dead series. And uh, the comic miniseries uh, admittedly, of course, was set in that same world, is about This guy Damien Cross, an intelligent zombie who remembers his former life, struggling to find his identity as he battles armies of both the living and the undead, and uh, included Romero's typical gore and social commentary dealing, particularly here, with corporate greed, where the power elite scheme to maintain a stranglehold on the world's riches via an army of the undead led by a zombie general named Attila, and uh, and also terrorism and everything and more. And uh, he also explored uh, a lot of this uh, in, in his, his next film, Land of the Dead, which I think this was probably one of the, the versions of that script. And uh, Marvel's Empire of the Dead, which was what the last one he wrote, picks up from the events in the night uh, of Night of the Living Dead with Barbara's younger sister later uh, giving part of those events new context and introducing vampires to the undead. And uh, it, it nearly got a TV adaptation, but I fear The Walking Dead's oversaturation and Romero's passing put it in development hell. And it turns out that in November 2015, AMC actually acquired the TV rights to the series. And since then, there was no further announcements, which looks like they they were sitting on their zombie competition to make sure it couldn't come out. So that's pretty shitty. And uh, that's it for our... Uh, that's that for the Romero retrospective. And again... Rest in peace, George. In fact, I sincerely hope he is resting in peace, and that phrase has a new meaning. Agreed. Uh, Should I stop the recording? Probably no
4: point in doing a Patreon plug.
2: Yeah, how will they send the supplies? I'll I'll just do the outro. Um, Thanks for listening, comrades. Hope springs eternal. And we... We'll, uh, see you in the future. How many pre-recorded tapes we got left? Uh, just one. Your friend's
4: last of us review. Well, let's take a break listening to that.
3: Radiculture. Yes, and that was Namirvan. So now I'd like to talk about a game. This game is called The Last of Us. As I said before, Um, this game came out about a year ago. It came out June 14th, 2013, and it came out for the PS3. And it's it's coming out for the PS4 as a re-release as well with updated graphics and other things that you'd expect from a re-release from Naughty Dog, at least, which is a pretty great dev. Um, they aren't out there just to make money, from what it appears. They they really put a lot of passion into the art of of game making. And but anyway, this this game is about this post apocalyptic world where this parasitic fungus infects people's brains, and that parasitic fungus essentially takes over the world. And now this this punk, this fungus is actually based on a real life fungus that infects insects. And it does that in order to control the insect's nervous system and make sure that it gets eaten by larger animals that it can infect and, and spread. Um, and that's, that's cordyceps. That's what the, the fungus is actually called in real life. And it's suddenly, in this game, the cordyceps suddenly somehow adapt to huma- humans. And they cause a large portion of the human race to turn into these horrible monsters referred to as the infected or or even clickers later on, as you find out as you play the game. And there are these different stages. There are these different stages that humans turn into as they get infected. And it's based on how long that they've been infected. So the kind of environment crafting that goes into the game is incredible. Because you go into one area, and it's filled with these low-level... Um, infected being things I don't know they used to be humans it's 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 filled with these low-level infected things and maybe like one clicker which is I think the highest level of infected that one can become in the game maybe there's one more I think there's one more where you're this giant bloated terrible looking thing that uh, explodes and sends poison everywhere It's literally like there are also plants that it that literally kind of explode and to spread out their seed so it's kind of based off of these interesting uh, real world analogs but of course exaggerated a bit and turned into a drama for the game obviously the, st- the story of the game but later on you run into these areas that have been less touched by the humans that still exist that haven't been infected and these areas that have been less touched have had more time to for the cordyceps to grow and evolve or whatever inside of the humans and get more effective in in spreading the fungus. So it's interesting how much you can kind of understand about the world around you by just going into these areas and seeing what kind of enemies you're facing. And the entire game is kind of difficult. Even the easier enemies are still difficult to fight against in the game. Um, so it's not like the traditional kind of RPG-ish, uh, leveling system where you, at the beginning, you're fighting the very easy enemies or whatever. And then later on you gradually progress. Not really. It's pretty much completely narrative driven. The game is. And so it's not really the difficulty is not necessarily a flat line all the way through. And it does get harder as you go on, but it's very very gradual and the nuance is fantastic in that all of the situations do not seem artificial in their crafting. It seems like these are actual situations that you would run into in this world. You don't just run into this area with, you know, a a more populated area just arbitrarily. You would, for example, in one part of the game, you go down into this almost cave system uh, underneath this overpass area and a lot of infected have congregated there presumably to kind of bide their time and evolve into the higher level infected people or whatever and these are not these are also not traditional zombie type uh, characters they are some of them do move slow some of them move very fast and come upon you and it's difficult to have a good reaction to what they're doing and some of them are very unpredictable the one group of zombie things abominations whatever you're gonna call them is called clickers and they're called clickers because they can't see anymore their eyes are nasty looking in the game and they're kind of just bloated out and it looks kinda like mushrooms Um, there's fungus in their eyes and they can't see anymore But how they kind of navigate around and see is by doing this clicking. I I can't do it. I just sound like a jackass. But just imagine this creepy clicking thing. And they kind of use sonar to move around and find you. And so if you aren't moving, they have a much more difficult time seeing you. Because unless they click, they aren't able to see you at that point. And it's unpredictable when they're going to click and when they're going to be looking towards you so that they can kind of hone in the trigonometry behind sonar or whatever so they can find you. But it's all very well done and it's all very narrative driven and I highly recommend it as a piece of media that kind of explores what humanity can become after a terrible event like this. And it does do that and it does it very well. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the sociological observations and predictions that the game makers, the writers, whatever, make. But it is entertaining. And the, the, the perspective that is offered through the game is very interesting and, and valuable. Um, the, in the game, government has collapsed pretty much at this point. What happened after the cordyceps p- pretty much took over most of the human population, at least in North America, remember now, there's not much information about the rest of the world. We, we just have this idea of North America. And in the game, you travel from, I believe, New York to Utah? Maybe Nevada? Somewhere in the Midwest area. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> through this region, the government has pretty much collapsed. For a long time, the military was in control. And, of course, that would happen in our society. If, if everything collapsed and there shit hit the fan that would happen probably military would take control martial law whatever resources were under the control of the government and or the military and everything was rationed out all food was rationed out clothing that all of that and production was controlled by the military as well and after a certain amount of time the military loses control over most of the region most of the country at least and they have these small holdouts the military does of power that they still influence and uh, people congregate to these areas for safety they lose a lot of freedom and there is a curfew and many things like that but they they offer protection from the clickers from the zombie things going about on the streets and they also offer protection against these hunters they call them which are spoiler alert These cannibalistic people who roam around looking for stray people to kill and eat. And it kind of seems like these two groups are stagnant. They aren't really looking for much else. Um, As far as society goes, they aren't looking to so much rebuild. They're more looking to maintain the power that they have. Maintain the little control over their lives that they already have. And just write out whatever is left of society. Both of them, at the point of the game starting, uh, are kind of just scavenging, getting the scraps off of society that are still left over, and of course the hunters are eating humans, and the military is just roaming around looking for leftovers. But, there is one more faction in the game. I'm sure that there are other factions spread throughout the world, but there's another one that's focused on for the purposes of this game. They're called the Fireflies. And the Fireflies are this kind of... They're, they're painted as a rebel faction. Who go around, and they also have kind of a power dynamic about them that's a little bit... Eh. Not as good as you would like. They, they're they not completely angelic. But it's its all the much more accurate storytelling in that way. And, and it's much more adult in that they're not superheroes they are not saviors uh, but they are attempting to save the world kind of they, they're looking for a cure to the cordyceps they're looking for a way to stop the cordyceps from existing and reproducing and instead of talking about the narrative plot line of the game i'd like to talk for a minute about the sociological structure of these groups and how they kind of formed and persist And what my perspective is on that, what makes this world so interesting is that everyone has their own set of ethics and everyone is out for survival. The military obviously has its idea of what morality is and it's very similar to what the military's idea of morality is now. It's very honor-driven and it's very based in service and things of that nature. And at this point, the line of command seems to have... I don't know. It's hard to tell in the game, but it's fallen into a complete military dictatorship. So, it's that sort of thing. Look out for your own and your own turns out to be the civilians living within your borders as well. And they restrict other people from coming in because they're afraid of the virus spreading inside. And so they come very they become very hostile hostile to outsiders. As we see in many zombie-type movies and other literature. And and that's nothing new. But the other groups have their own code of ethics, too. The Hunters, for example, which seem horrible uh, and horrifying in that they are cannibals. And that's almost one of the most horrifying things universally to humans. And they have their own code of ethics, too, though. They look out for one another. They are just trying to survive. They have been, they are the people who at the beginning were excluded from these military encampments because the military was like, fuck that, we're not letting more people in. We aren't going to jeopardize the people that we already have in here to more infection. So these military communities were very exclusionary. And it's interesting how that could possibly work as an allegory for maybe, I'm not sure, but it's an interesting allegory for suburban communities and gangs. I mean, it's pretty easy to tell that suburban communities slash subdivisions or whatever you might want to call them are pretty exclusionary and generally kind of racist or ethnocentric to some extent. And so they're exclusionary to insiders and they do whatever they can to keep outsiders out. Think of gentrification versus urbanization in the real world. And you'll find some analogs here in this game. Uh, It's really interesting, the analog of the hunters and gangs, because in real life you have these gangs who establish themselves and kind of war amongst themselves outside of the communities that are set up of whitey kind of outside of the suburban communities outside of higher class society and they kind of war amongst themselves and profit off of the regulations that are set up by the suburban communities because they kind of go in and they sell shit to the suburban communities that they can't get anywhere else because shit's illegal drugs most of the time is what they profit off of most of the sale of firearms things like that and the same kind of subversion is going on with the Hunters in, in this game. And even the other group that is trying to save the world is they're both subverting the military by breaking these regulations, sneaking people out to get shit, bringing them back if it benefits them, and because the military will not let you outside of the gates unless you are with them. Really, if you're a citizen in the gates, you stay there for pretty much the rest of your life. And so people find ways to get out to get different medicines that aren't available behind the walls. They find ways to get out and experience things because they get bored behind the walls, whatever. And the one group that's trying to save the world enables that. And so do the hunters. They find ways to subvert the power of the military while also kind of warring amongst themselves. And the kind of recruitment process for both of these groups is very similar as well. In real life, a lot of the times, it's, it's kids with nowhere else to turn. And in the game, it's the same. People behind the walls who are getting fucked over by the military because, of course, the military is an institution, and there are marginalized people within that institution. So they have nowhere else to turn, so they leave. And they go start being cannibals, but they go with the other group with more noble intentions. Now, in real life, it's not so polarized. In the game, it's, it's pretty culturally polarized which group is better. The Fireflies are definitely the more kind of enlightened and better-intentioned group of, of the hunters or the other gangs and groups running around and the Fireflies because, of course, they're trying to find a cure. They're subverting the military and they're actually trying to do shit to help society. Um, and their organization is interesting too, in that they do have leaders and it is almost like another military institution, but the process of making decisions among the fireflies is much, much more democratic. Um, so it seems in the individual, now the fireflies are definitely, are, they are spread throughout the entire United States, it seems. And they have these institutions that are more kind of ragtag. Than the military institutions, but they operate in a little bit of the same way, but with a lot more uh, with many more freedoms. It's much more like a commune than you would expect, but a commune with very stringent responsibilities for each member. You have to be at watch on this at this time. If you see military at this time, do this, do this, do this, do this. We have to go out at this time. The jobs are very laid out and expected of you. And there are also hospitals that have been taken over by the fireflies in order to conduct research and in order to try to get cures and things of that nature. But I can imagine that situation being reality in a world where you have a bunch of people trying to usurp what you're trying to do, usurp your power, because the military just wants to maintain its power, remember, over the little chunks of society that it has. So it does not want the fireflies to find a cure and, and reinstate society and industrialization as a thing they just kind of want their slice they want to keep what they have and they don't want to fuck any of it up because they already have power and that could be seen as an allegory or a metaphor on its own as well um, to situations today where there are many subversive groups trying to make real change in the world these Revolutionary groups like Occupy, whatever, trying to instate change in their chunk of society, and the institutions that they're trying to change are just like, eh, you know, we have this amount of control already, we don't want to fuck that up, so maybe we'll make these small implemental changes along the line, but we aren't actually going to do anything that allows you to usurp our power. And it'll be really interesting seeing if there is a sequel or there is any more development to this world. It would be interesting to see moving on how these groups interact with one another and develop how things develop with these groups. Because long story short, and, and here's another spoiler. Uh, at the end of the game, the world is not saved. You, you do not save the world. There is no cure at the end of the game. So this world keeps persisting. And it would be very interesting to see how this military dictatorship keeps persisting in its control over these little societies. How the fireflies keep persisting and how and if the hunters keep moving on doing their thing. So it's all a very interesting look at the microcosms of society that we have today. And how they might change in the future or through the occurrence of horrible natural disasters or chemical warfare or whatever. And as far as social theory goes, I think that in the game, it's got a pretty interesting representation of what would happen. And everything, as far as theory is concerned or, or anything empirical, they have a very condensed space. To work with to run this plot line through and they don't have a book series to go off of they don't have a movie to go off of which is another condensed kind of plot line but anyway they can't completely construct the world for you so there are things that are probably left out from the picture that might be developed later on but like I said as far as theory goes I think that at the point that communication is as degraded as it seems in this world Communication is communication is, is as degraded as it seems in this world between the military and other militaries in the area, um, that the military control over these small communities would be much more fragmented. So small groups would control these areas rather than the military being coordinated enough to make these moves on firefly areas or hunter areas. what have you and I also think that once communication gets more fragmented (laughs) communication gets more fragmented for the military it would dissolve into everyone becoming a kind of civilian state as well Um, but that's difficult to say because it's also difficult to say what would happen to the civilians in a state where the military and these protections offered by the military would be something familiar from old society having cops having constant protections from the wild and all of that so it's all very difficult and it's a gray area and i think it's handled incredibly well in the game the last of us and i would enjoy having another conversation another time with someone who has also played it or it would be great to talk to a developer or whatever about it um if you have a playstation 3 playstation 4 or whatever go buy it uh Check it out. It's, it's really great. It's one of the best games for this, this sort of thing. This post-apocalyptic world. It's fantastic. It's get a better storyline than any of the Fallout games, which I also love. But this game is just simply unparalleled in the way that personal narratives and communal narratives and the ways of the communities in the game are developed. So I highly recommend checking it out. And we can have another discussion on it some other time. Bakunin has this famous quote. Freedom without socialism is privilege and injustice. Socialism without freedom is slavery and brutality. Well, this has been Radiculture, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our first episode. And you can find more of Radiculture at Radiculture. Well,
4: that was Radiculture reviewing The Last of Us. Shame steam is down.
2: Yeah, you know, I I own that game on uh, PlayStation 4, but, you know, I was too much of a scaredy cat to play it, and I I heard it was so sad, and, you know, I had so much uh, crying and feels with The Walking Dead games. Uh, The structure of those games, uh, The the Walking Dead ones, uh, you know, they actually led to great games like uh, Life is Strange.
4: Which is an amazing
2: game. I miss all those, yeah, I miss all those characters. Uh, that's our last tape? Well, that's, uh, that distraction's over, uh, and my coffee's cold.
4: Mine's done.
2: Well, we're delaying the inevitable, you know. The stiffs won't leave, and, you know, we're gonna have to fight our way out. If only we could warn our past selves, like in John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. You could sit tight. We've got supplies. It's not secure. I mean, they broke through twice in ten minutes. I mean, next time we're dead.
4: Okay. I did bag some supplies in case we had to run for it. Let's do it. Let's let's
2: take the initiative. Okay. When we bust through, we could get weapons from the shed. Hopefully a groovy chainsaw. Let's do it. Alright, lock and load. I've always wanted to say that. Ready? Ready. Okay, opening door in three, two, one.
4: Wow, I am a really bad shot. Sorry,
2: D. (sighs) Well, that's my last reason to live, gone. (laughs) And uh, my last shell's gone. (laughs) Last words, well, (laughs) if anyone's listening out there, <clears throat> good night and good luck. That's, okay. That's
1: another one
0: for the fire.
1: Two, broadcast from a future, November two thousand and nineteen, timeline Z three.
2: So I'm just thinking, there's just so many possibilities.
6: Uh, hello.
4: What the fuck, uh, Dara? Hello. Got some time
5: of no.
2: Testing.
4: Hey, you, you're fuzzy.
2: That's not me. Actually, it is a different version. What? When are you? What? Month and year. What? November 2019, of course. Perfect. I'm calling you from November 2020, uh, No Fate Project HQ. Uh, we we can send communications back, but not people. You have one year to avert the red brown zombie plague. I've sent proof. That tape? Yes, the tape.
4: Why didn't you save future us?
2: We figured hearing your own deaths would be a pretty good motivator. That's cold, dude. Greater good, dude. You're gonna erase that timeline anyway. And why aren't you dead? Do I have to say it? You, you've said it like 50 times, it's written on your arms.
4: I feel called out. Am I alive in your timeline? Derek?
2: No more questions. I guess we should stock up on guns? That's a question and uh, where you're going, you don't need guns. I understood that reference. No shit, nerd. It was a massive blockbuster. Who hurt him? You did. We've developed a cure, but our former comrade, Professor Don Levy, has stolen it and plans to sell it at a jacked up price. Cream. Capitalism ruins everything around me. Your mission, and you have to, to accept it, is to steal the cure from the No-Fate HQ before Don Levy does. When you get... Ugh, that's a wiretap. Uh, we'll send you the details by snail mail. How, how do I hang up the phone? This is a podcast.
4: Do you believe all
2: that? Pascal's Wager? Better safe than dead. And I don't have any other explanation.
4: Let's cut this off and talk on Messenger. That tone is annoying the fuck out of me. Okay,
2: just on a final note to our listeners, if you set up a monthly contribution on Patreon, you can help avert the zombie apocalypse. Good night and good luck, and see you in the future.
1: Part 3, History of the Future. The most simple way to put this is that
4: red-brownism is fascism that disguises itself as socialism or communism.
2: This is a broadcast from the No Fate Project in timeline Z1. A warning to our listeners in the timeline designated Z3. When Richard Dawkins first popularized the concept of the meme, It was a unit of biological reproduction before digital media became widespread. Figures it would come full circle. In September 2020, internet memes began to mutate into a physical brain virus. Ground Zero was Brooklyn, but it quickly became global. Political one-liners you'd only heard on the recesses of Twitter would be spoken aloud by your closest friends. Any attempt to counter these arguments would just result in more rote nonsense memes. Things like fascists aren't really a threat. Assad was democratically elected. The virus is a conspiracy either by or against China. Even uninfected leftists kept posting that there was no danger, that this was no worse than the flu. Most of my friends were replaced by pod people in the space of a month. Our only defenses were sectarian sniping on the internet and didactic satire, grossly inadequate considering what was at stake. By October, the memers looked pallid, barely alive. Granted, that's not too surprising for the very online, but by November, they began devouring brains. Their words, already barely coherent, degenerated into zombie moans. It seemed they had to make up for the rotting of their own brains by consuming the brains of the living. But this was only enough to keep them physically functioning, rather than restoring advanced cognitive functions. They slowed down to an undead shamble. When they figured out the zombie plague was spreading by the internet, emergency measures resulted in most front-facing platforms being taken down. We don't know who struck first, us or them, but we do know it was us who scorched Twitter. By November 2020, only the dark web remained. Drug dealers on dark websites quickly ran out as people began panic buying and hoarding drugs in an attempt to counter the effects of the brain virus, with no adequate expansion of healthcare and no known cure. Most people were relying on 20th century media. We were trading podcasts on cassette tapes, but the damage was already done. The zombies appeared to inherit a kind of network, a hive mind, from their online origins, something like an ant colony without a queen, driven by a collective need for brains. Non-lethal bites incorporated the victim into the hive mind. Flights were shut down, but Ani sold favors to sailors to reach me in Florida. Our first time meeting in person, and we were cock-blocked by deadheads. When the ghouls broke into my house, kitchen knives were our only weapons. We fled without managing to take a single one out. On the road northwards from my home in Florida, we began to receive radio broadcasts from ourselves something about antarctica professor don levy the no fate project alternative universes sci-fi shit Uh, i thought it was a radio play except it was our voices and they knew things about us hard to explain but the messages were garbled and we weren't in a state to do anything about them we drove up the East Coast and crossed the noticeably abandoned border into Canada and headed for Pontyport Forest, where my Canuck cousin has a cabin in the woods. What was an honest cousin. We hoped the isolation would protect us from the roaming hordes. It didn't. We reached the cabin and made our last stand as their numbers increased. I deballed the first one we encountered with a knife, turning his raspy moaning into a painful groaning. We fortified the cabin to no avail, and our sanctuary became our tomb as we ran through our ammo. In my last seconds of consciousness, I realized that deballed Deadhead had gotten in. He got appropriate revenge. fair, fair. yet the No Fate Project got to us two weeks into my zombie shambling and administered a cure. I don't remember my time as a soldier of the undead. Uh, they, They asked us to record this as a guide for our past selves, to avoid this catastrophe. Despite developing a cure, The plague is already too widespread, it looks like we lost, and I'm missing some important parts. Pretty sure I'm sadder about that than Derek is. Also, I have a craving for red meat like never before. Did you
4: call it with the innuendo?
2: You're projecting. Well, listeners, it's over for us. It's up to you to avert the apocalypse. You have the power. Over and out. Well, that's it from Future Derek. Uh, this is Present Derek in April 2020. Timeline Z3. Your timeline, dear listeners. This will get complicated, but we need you to follow in our tracks if we fail. We've received word that this No Fate project is real, and it is here headquartered in Antarctica at Dyer Station where a Professor Don Levy, apparently a cranky alcoholic with a wandering accent, is conducting research into a cure for the future zombie plague. This cure is apparently focused on regenerating basic synaptic functions and has to be combined with political education. The cure will be developed by mid-September, at which point we're supposed to steal it before Don Levy tries to sell it at a jacked-up price. Then the No Fate Project will administer it free of charge. So first off, how the fuck do we get to Antarctica?
1: Part 4, Ani Meets Ani, May 2020, Timeline Z3. <sighs> Wish
4: you were here, D. Future Ani, obviously. Why are you doing a Batman voice? It's not that cool. Chain smoking, and it distinguishes us for the listeners. I'm not recording anymore. I am. No fake project policy. Record everything so the next travelers can follow our tracks. You should start. Do <coughs> you want some of this coat for your throat? Yes. Thank you. I assume you have more questions. I thought you could only send communications back, not people. Upgrade. So, what are you here for? Finally, a good question. You need to come with me. Where? Antarctica. No Fate Project HQ. It's time to stop Don Levy. It's time to fight
5: the future.
1: Part 5. No Fate Project HQ. June 2020. Timeline Z3.
2: Yo! Uh. Just as I sit down... Hold on, I'll deal with this. Ten more minutes, okay? Don Levy wants to use the room. Anyway, we're concluding with a report on how we got to be sitting next to each other in a chilly Antarctic base in June 2020 on Timeline Z3. Regular listeners will know it all started with the No Fate Project and their recruitment of us to fight the future. Feels self-important.
4: Why do you think they recruited two small-time podcasters? What skills do we bring? Do they need us to analyze the semiotics of the coming zombie plague? Ours is not the reason why. Ours, but to do and die. Or do and live, hopefully. Anyway, listeners, short recap. Last time, somebody who appeared to be my future self showed up to take me to Antarctica. I say appeared because it turned out he was an evil clone sent by Professor Don Levy to trap me.
2: Yeah, Don Levy's only half on our side. He's developing the cure to sell it to the highest bidder. We want to socialize it. This isn't just a moral choice, it's the only way humanity will survive the red-brown zombie plague. Don Levy knows we're working against him, so he just wanted to lock us up and throw away the key. Literally. While Ani's clone was tricking them in Melbourne, my clone was pulling the same shit in Florida, and I ended up here. A pretty clever way to get us to voluntarily comply, sending ourselves. Turns out time travel is still limited to sending messages back not people so these weren't time travelers
4: yeah if this clarifies anything time travel in the real world is like a christmas carol so we get visions of the future but don't travel physically and we can only change the present to change the future
2: or like john carpenter's prince of darkness so this looks like tachyons are a real phenomenon too
4: i don't think this is clarifying anything for the listeners
2: Oh, they have a right to know. If we fail, someone has to follow on our trail. And some trail it is, dear listeners. We got on private jets chartered by the No Fate Project. Ani went via Christchurch. I went via Argentina. And it was like we were Indiana Jones with the red lines on those maps. And it feels wrong in this time of pandemic lockdowns to be globetrotting. But Antarctica is the only continent not to have COVID-19. And instead of blocking all visitors, they just screamed for flu-like symptoms. The flight was pretty luxe, nicer than my bed, so at least I got some sleep. The project was pretty well funded until recently. Now some of the more lucrative funding is drying up since they refused to sign any deals giving U.S. or Big Pharma exclusive patents. They're still being mostly funded by the New Zealand government and the secretive Nathaniel Derby Pickman Foundation over at Miskatonic University. Anyway, we uh, converged on dire station and met in person for the first time but it was a little spoiled by our clones trying to lock us in steel cages don livy uh, keeps in his basement fortunately we won that fight who won
4: that fight credit where it's
2: due i couldn't have done it without you babe the moral support and supervision anyway my tiger claw did come in handy oh, him. fatality One hand each, the fight was over in a few seconds, but it was psychologically scarring for all concerned. Yeah, honestly it was disconcerting watching you use your most ruthless move on me, but thank you for protecting me. Uh, Me, me. Yeah, how do you think I felt using it on myself? I mean, the other myself... Still, I got sympathy, pains. Sorry. Anything I can do to help with that? Not in front of the kids. Uh, Anyway, Don Levy was terrified, but we couldn't really take him out since he's the one developing a cure. So we reached a truce. Which definitely will not last. Do you think he listens to this podcast? Should we be saying this stuff openly? Also, he's kind of staring at us right now. The glass is soundproofed. He can't hear us. He's just been standing there for ten minutes.
4: Yeah, it's unsettling. But we're all getting the broadcast from the future. We all know what's coming. Don Levy develops the cure in
2: mid-September.
4: Actually, if we're in touch with future Don Levy, why can't he just share the
2: formula? Too paranoid. Plus, he wants to preserve the timeline rather than change it. He's even keeping it from his past itself apparently. Yeah, I overhear them arguing. It's quite disturbing.
4: Right. I don't... If he wants to preserve the timeline, he probably shouldn't be communicating with us at all. What a whack job. And I'm allowed to say that as a diagnosed whack job. Anyway, once the cure is developed, it's just a matter of who has the most firepower, really.
2: Well, I'm not sure my tiger claw is going to be enough. He's probably developing killer robots or mice with lasers. We'll win. We have to. Well, In the meantime, we've joined the research team doing mostly data entry. We've got software doing content analysis of cataloging red-ground pollution of the meme pool. Current trends indicate comorbidity of COVID-19 and the nascent RBZ plague. The No Fate Project is also collaborating with Miskatonic University on monitoring ice sheets melts from climate change, Uh, ancient ice core samples, adapting krill to end world hunger. Oh, that's gonna be tasty. Uh, Studying penguin evolution and the effect of climate change on Arctic penguin populations, searching for extraterrestrial intelligence in collaboration with NASA and collecting extremophile microbes Overall, the mission statement is about reversing the sixth mass extinction, the Anthropocene extinction.
4: That's what the paperwork is, but I'm getting the impression that it's a cover for Don Levy's various evil schemes.
2: They're technologically innovative evil schemes, at least. I can see why they tolerate the crank. Anyway, we got here just in time for winter, which means we can't leave for a few months due to weather conditions. So now we're working for the alcoholic mad scientist.
4: He doesn't seem like good Foss material. There are no good bosses. But hopefully he's intimidated enough by Derek to at least follow basic labor
2: laws. Yeah, this wobbly knows how to make a grown man weep. As graphically
4: demonstrated to Don Levy already, direct action gets the goods. As it were. Yes. Anyway, there's a silver lining to all this nonsense. Well, one, we're getting paid. But two, we got private quarters together. Bunk beds, but still.
2: And speaking of homophilia, today marks the third pride celebrated in Antarctica. And they say it's important to mark the time out here. Uh, We joined the small contingent with the pansexual flag. And word is around this station that Don Love is on the down low and Dr. Bob is low-key homophobic Oh figure fuck that
4: guy <laughs> anyway that brings us up to date and Don Levy's looking impatient out there yeah that's right we're talking about you dude so
2: should we wrap this up and go get warm subtle I'll just uh, do the begging bit. Well, dear listeners, the No Fate Project may be raking in decent cash, but Don Levy looks set to hoard it for his own purposes. So if you want to help our fight to socialize the cure, and you can reasonably spare some cash, please set up a monthly contribution to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Jetpack 1917.
4: Also, a word from our sponsors. If you're a good person, consider donating to the nano loan group at nanoloans.org. The nano loan group offers loans to third world women, ensuring a life of debt. The nano loan philosophy is that there's nothing more empowering than debt. If we were to simply give people money, it would rob them of agency. Whereas obligation towards rich people ensures a healthy sense of self-sufficiency. With every comes an implant of nanobots ensuring lifelong compliance let's indebt the world together if you donate at nanoloans.org slash jetpack we'll get kitbacks It's hard out here for a podcaster. On a more serious fourth wall breaking note, our podcast platform is offering us sponsorships. So please do consider helping us resist that temptation until capitalism is done. Subscription models are the best way of paying for content.
2: Yeah. And we're not going to turn away funds from Bill Gates or George Soros at this point. Anyone have their numbers? Finally, just letting regular listeners know from now on, we're going out on, on the last saturday of every month so wash your damn hands and we'll see you in the future
5: <sighs> god damn it don leffy you got the wrong.
2: get back to your scheming okay
4: okay we're off shift i don't care if you gave the penguins gather Pinton good
5: night
1: part six don leffy is exactly what he seems act one prologue no fate project hq dire station antarctica derek johnson's personal log dateline 2305 2020 z3
2: all right folks here's Barry. not much of one things have been uneventful for once careful what you wish for right Higher-ups tried to move Matsura and I into a bigger dorm, but our good friend Dr. Kier bribed the administrator with a season's worth of beef jerky, and we kept our double bunk room together. Supplies are a mixed bag. There's a condom vending machine on the station, but the stock is finite, and no luck finding the lube as yet. Dr. Bob's name is actually Dr. Bub, Ani misheard his American accent. I found his Twitter, and what a dropkick. He's been promoting that grifting left tuber, Austin Casket, doing a debate with the deplatformed gay fascist edgelord, Otis Ypsilantis. I had to explain to that asshole that you can't ethically debate fascists and Nazis and their belief in genocide because it causes harm to marginalized communities and allows them to propagandize and organize to kill us all, jackass. In science news, the egg of an ancient marine mammal was found in Antarctica, so it's not a dinosaur. There is much evidence of prehistoric megafauna on this continent, of course, and our controversial kaiju division headed by Dr. Keir is looking into that. Matsura's been reallocated to that team, but I'm still on penguin detail with Professor Don Levy, the emperors have long since vanished inland, but most other breeds have joined us on the north coast. Don Levy's become a bit obsessed with this project. He has been locked in his quarters scouring over the journals of the original Dr. William Dyer of Miskatonic University from the original disastrous expedition here in 1930. He's trying to locate where the expedition's Professor Lake's small advance group allegedly discovered the remains of prehistoric life forms previously unknown to science. Don Levy claims the remains were allegedly unidentifiable as either plants or animals, and the fauna here was once very diverse. The connection he claims is there were once prehistoric blind six-foot tall penguins around here. He keeps sneaking things from the lab mumbling about a lost civilization in the mountains. I'd report it, but I'm no snitch. Hopefully his magpie mind doesn't get too distracted from developing the RBZ plague cure. Today, he told me the penguins are not what they seem. Anyone else, I just think it was a reference. But with Don Levy, who knows? Anyway, Matsura's getting antsy about their home being so close yet so far, what with the uh, winter preventing any travel from Antarctica and New Zealand's COVID-era border restrictions on top of that. And it now looks like the EU will be banning American travelers too, so I may be stranded myself. Who knows what other countries may start banning Americans, as America is one of the worst outbreaks The penguins are really rubbing it in with their borderless journey northward, smug little pricks. Learn to fly, dickwads. I'm hoping they take me off this penguin detail soon. It's getting in my head. Oh well. The sixth mass extinction progresses on multiple fronts. Good night and good luck.
1: Act 2. Portent.
2: You're a nice pillow. I'm not a pillow, I'm a man, damn it. You tell him, D. So, uh, Don Levy asked me out today, or at least I think he did. Did you tell him you were taken? I thought this was an open relationship. Joke. I did say I was taken, though. Nicer way to let him down. It's
4: kinda hot in a grumpy old daddy way.
2: Grumpy old alcoholic.
4: You know he's got the good stuff, though. Aged
2: whiskey or whatever. I think he's a furry, because he was looking at penguin costumes online.
4: I suspect his list of fetishes is long and varied.
2: (laughs) Look who's talking. Look who's talking, too. Look who's talking now.
4: Did you stop off at the vending machine?
2: Apropos of nothing. Uh, Not tonight, babe. Maybe tomorrow.
4: Okay. Good night, Gogeta.
2: Good night, Motsura.
1: Act 3. Penguin.
2: Oh, so, funny story. Don Levy wasn't into me exactly. You sound disappointed. It's nice to be wanted. You are wanted. Thought a crack of humanity was showing, but no, his heart is firmly in Antarctica.
4: Just like Sherwood's little Eskimo. What happened?
2: Oh, another evil scheme. I thought he wanted me to see his penguin costume. Uh... He wanted to crossbreed me with a penguin. Said it was the only way for humanity to survive the sixth extinction. Hmm. Crossbreed? Not like that. More science-y. He tried to harvest my gametes with a cutting laser, so I kicked him in the gametes and ran away.
4: Ouch, but good. He deserved it, and I'm glad your gametes are
2: safe. Me too. Uh, We should probably kill the weird eldritch crossbreeds he already made out of sympathy, if nothing else.
4: Christ, he promised not to do any more evil schemes. That's what I said. Maybe we should tell somebody higher up.
2: I'm no snitch. Anyway, we need the cure. We kind of have to protect him for now.
4: He should experience consequences, though.
2: Oh, he experienced my knee. Well, you know I'm all for
4: that, but who hasn't?
2: Oh, well, Dr. Bob hasn't, not yet. Yet
4: being keyword. Hmm, indeed. Point is, what's to stop Don Levy's next harebrained scheme?
2: Us, we'll stop him. So far, the plans are ridiculously easy to foil anyway.
4: Okay, I'll trust you. Why are we separate? Are you gonna spoon me or what?
2: Uh, You feel warm?
4: Yeah, it's nice. Thank
2: you. Better now? Yeah. So how was your day, Masura?
4: Uneventful. There's a couple of FBI agents coming next week to check out that media sample. FBI? How is this their jurisdiction? U.S. imperialism strikes again. Well,
2: here I am. You are not U.S. imperialism. Unless you're a spy. Wouldn't it be cool if I was, though? You'd go renegade. Just call me Kowski. I thought you were against imperialism. That's what they thought about Kowski. True.
4: Gogeta? Yes, Matsura? Did you stop by the vending machine? Of course. Nice. Kia got me lube in exchange for benzos.
2: Excellent. Safety first. It's the Dire Station motto. On paper, anyway.
1: Although Derek and Ani survived this particular story, they did reach La Petit Mort on that Arctic night. Part 7. All Power to the Imagination. August 2020. Timeline Z3.
4: So, weird thing. Oh yeah? That giant ancient egg we're investigating contains a dormant koala fish mutant bird. Not dead and not a known species.
2: You need a better name for that. It is like a genetic chimera.
4: Dr. Kier calls it. I'm guessing that's Future Derek calling again. Future Derek?
2: Correct. Derek Z2. I have news.
4: I right, just before that, I have one question. What? I don't have much time. Why are we developing a cure for the zombie plague rather than a vaccine? Isn't prevention better?
2: It spreads primarily by communication, not microbes. The best vaccine is political education. The cure is a psychiatric drug, but it has to be tested once the outbreak starts. Fortunately, it's very fast-acting, a matter of hours and thanks to advanced notice, Don Levy will have it ready a week after the outbreak. But here's the real news. We've figured something out about the multiverse. The No Fate Project first contacted you because we picked up massive temporal disturbances associated with your podcast. It turns out, works of fiction can produce divergent timelines. Your podcast created the zombie apocalypse. You created me.
4: Okay, so when you called us from the future, that was us creating you? Yes. That's like a recursive loop starting nowhere?
2: Time travel in a nutshell.
4: If you're a figment of our imagination, are you conscious? I'm no figment of your imagination, and yes. Are you lying?
2: (sighs) You have no way of knowing what is existence, Maybe it's a computer simulation, yada, 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 but no, I'm not lying. Uh, You're getting off track. Okay, so fiction creates reality. Could we dream up teleportation to get out of this freezing hell? You create alternate timelines with your fiction. You don't alter your own present. The Derek and Ani with teleportation would be alts. You have to alter your present the old-fashioned way. What if we dream up teleportation? No, you're exactly where you need to be stopping Don Levy. This is a direct order. Do not work on teleportation. So what do we do? Get ready to neutralize Don Levy when he tries to steal the cure. And for the love of God, don't think of any more apocalyptic timelines.
4: The human mind has no adventure for don't, you know. Quiet you. Think about happy things. Um, fairies. Like actual fairy tale fairies? They were evil tricksters that stole children.
2: Uh, um,
4: flowers. Poppies? The drug trade? CIA conspiracy to turn addicts into zombies? No. A sunny day. You're in the park.
2: This is a vulnerable spot. We have to find somewhere fortified. Think of something happy, you anxious f- Oh my god! Happy zombies? Imagine those no zombies, no capitalism, no states. Imagine all the people living in peace, an association in which the free development of each is the condition for the free development of all. Jetpacks! You're socialists. This is supposed to be your forte. All power to the imagination. Okay, we could do that. Uh, combine our mind powers and think really hard about Utopia now. Did it work? Let me check. Looks like the zombie timeline still exists, but you have created a Utopian timeline. Timeline B. Shouldn't it be timeline U for Utopia? That's taken. Underworld. That, Derek, is a leather bear Kate Beckinsale. It's pretty hot. You're
4: hot for yourself. It's good, though. Not judging.
2: Glad you approve. Anyway, now we work backwards, as always. Contact Timeline B and find out how they achieved Utopia. I'm assuming it involves a mass working-class uprising. What if we left Antarctica and organized one of those? You just want to leave Antarctica. Well, yeah, it's cold. Problem is... The zombies are the uprising right now. Just imagine better futures. Make more timelines. Give us more options. I'll work on contacting
4: Timeline B. Just one more question. We only get to talk to you once a month. <sighs> oh, okay, one. Can we get the time phone thingy? The the thing you're calling us on?
2: Possibly. You, you got the name uh, uh, right, actually. We just call it the time phone. I'll have to clear it with Dr. Tate first. She's in charge of temporal ethics. Uh, you should know the rules first. We know you can't send people back, just messages. There's more. You can't call the future, just the past. The calls only reach 12 months back max. Only essential calls. Orders from the future, countermand orders from the past and any information given must be cleared with Dr. Tate. Don Levy uses it for
4: non-essential calls all the time.
2: Fuck Don Levy. I'll ask Tate if you can get the tech. Uh, gotta go, babe. Uh, he called you babe. That's my thing. He was hot for himself. Now you're jealous of yourself. I'll get over it. Not as confusing as you can't call the future just the past. Didn't we just call the future?
4: I guess we were called from the future rather than calling. Wonder if not calling ahead is a tech limitation or an ethical one.
5: Hmm.
2: So, how was your day? Pretty good, actually. Bub finally got what was coming to him. Your knee? My knee first then my boot heel to really grind the message in.
4: Lovely. What was the inciting event?
2: He misgendered you after being corrected twice, then said getting pronouns right is virtue signaling without concrete action. Charming. Strangely, he didn't seem to enjoy my concrete action against his misgendering. Plus, there was only one condom left in the vending machine, so I had to fight him for that, too.
4: Well, thanks for defending my honor and our sexual health. Why does he need condoms, anyway? He's straight,
2: and all the women on the station are gay. Good question, come to think of it. I think he likes to hoard them because he knows they're a valuable commodity down
4: here. Wish I'd seen your victory.
2: Oh, I filmed
4: it. Uh, 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 uh Justice is sweet. At this rate he definitely won't need condoms. How do people react to the whole thing?
2: Well, there weren't many people around. Karen the admin turned a blind eye. The mysterious Mr. Morell from Miskatonic University seemed low-key into it. Karen
4: is cool. She's not actually
2: a Karen. Morell from Miskatonic looks like Ben Shapiro. He totally does. His voice is a lot less nasally, though. Notice he's the only guy on the station who wears a suit. Can't clock his agenda, though. He, He keeps trying to get William Dyer's old journal from Don Levy.
4: Dude wants his fingers in all the pies. He's also trying to take over the egg investigation from
2: Keir. He does seem to care about the cure, though. He's got something else going on. We should ask Keir. He's a
4: master of station
2: politics. You hear he's enforcing a trade embargo on Bub? Black market politics here are out of control. Keir's practically a benevolent crime boss. At least he's on our side. What do you think he'll do to deserve my need?
4: Hopefully nothing. It's nice having an older, heteropatriarch on side. But enough station goss. I should probably get to bed.
2: A dream of better futures?
4: I'll try. It's hard to be optimistic knowing a zombie outbreak will start in a couple of weeks. I guess it's about being for something, not just against something, as they say.
2: Describe a better future to me. Mm-hmm. Okay babe, we're on any continent but Antarctica, and it's warm but not hot. We wake up together in a purple poster bed in our bedroom in a mid-density public housing block covered in greenery. It's the second day of our four-day weekend. We debate whether to go to the free public restaurant downstairs or cook our own breakfast. And I convince you my frittata is the way to go. Hash browns and plant-based rosemary sausages. Excellent, if I say so myself.
4: After eating breakfast, I eat your (laughs) meal.
2: This is my story, babe, uh, but I'll accept that addition. We smoke the last of our free state-provided weed, then take the new Skytrain to the city center. The fare is free, of course, but calling anything free is redundant now. Uh, There is an optional gift economy. Nobody minds our obvious affection on the way. I go to the library to research for my novels, and you go to the park outside, sit next to the gurgling river that snakes through the city. Across the river is a community garden, and there's a crew of kids being taught to cultivate. More on this
6: Saturday morning I take a turn at the skillet I burn some eggs, boil coffee, drink a cup and refill it I read some pages of the paper, mostly look at the pictures There's a drip at the faucet so I fumble with the fix We take our own showers, wash our own hair Make our own beds, push in our own chairs I thought all this stuff would get done for me A robot moves along while I sit under a tree I thought we'd control wind and rain, cure all sickness, eliminate pain. I wanted mind reading gadgets to cater to my wishes. want to self-cleaning kitchens and not sticking dishes. Where's the end of war, freedom from disease? Where's the milk and honey you see a shining sea? We're Rockets on the back, so we're on the smooth moving sidewalks? It hey, wears my jetpack? I hovercraft, in every drive ends to breakfast on the table at 6.45. In A god-free zone where we all get along and no one's alone. A paradise of plenty where nobody lacks. We all flying around with our own jet packs. Where's the end of war, freedom from disease? Where's the milk and honey? You see the shining sea. How come there's rats? In my kitchen, monkeys on my back, Where we're all the monorails and skytrams. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my jet hey. Heaven on earth in a God-free zone where we all get along and know. We all flying around with our own jet <laughs> packs. Part eight
1: Climax
4: No Back Project Report September twenty twenty Timeline Z three. Shit has gotten real in this timeline. But first up, we have a micro cassette from Future Derek's, simply labeled Utopia. Presumably, this is an update on our attempt to generate an alternate timeline Utopia. So here's Future Derek.
2: Message to Derek and Ani Z3 from Derek Z2. It turns out timeline B, the so called Utopian timeline, was pretty twisted. Looks like your subconscious leaked in. Back to the drawing board.
4: Well, that was short and cryptic. Guess we have to win the old fashioned way, in the present. The red-brown zombie plague has begun. Strangely, that giant ancient egg began to stir over the same period. Possibly a coincidence, but creepy in any case. In two weeks, the zombie plague has outstripped COVID, reaching 10% of the U.S. population, ground zero. We've had two infections on the base. Don Levy cured the first one as a test. Then Bub succumbed, and we chained him up.
2: Yeah, no surprise, Bub was one of the first to fall. I mean, look at his podcast list. Becky, Teresa, and Norman Bateman's Who's Left, Crypto Fap House, the Undead Pundits, all Plague Vectors.
4: Zombie Bub displays some interesting muscle memory, tweeting into a phantom phone in one hand and pumping a phantom phallus with the other.
2: That's relatable. True.
4: Anyway, don't they be bailed with the cure the moment flights resumed, using an array of creatures and gadgets to hold us off?
2: Curses! sudden but inevitable betrayal.
4: So Derek is pursuing that nerd to shove him in a locker. He should have less defenses in the wild, so Derek's tiger claw could save us all.
2: No pressure. Uh, Also, there are many ways to fight, babe. You know, my monkey steals the peach move is very effective, but I can't take out ten zombies with it, let alone thousands. America has guns. One man alone cannot fight the future. Exactly. Ani's gonna work with Dr. Kier to see if they can reproduce the cure.
4: We know it's a psychiatric drug that can be planted in meat, so now we're trying to hack Don Levy's login to get the formula.
2: Try pass one. I saw it over his shoulder. I'm in.
4: Isn't Don Levy supposed to be a genius?
2: He's a boomer genius. He once asked me to fix his laptop and it turned out he hadn't switched it on. Look at this shit. Krill cakes. Soylent shakes. Protector cult intel.
4: Hmm. Eureka! Looks like he's heading to San Francisco to meet with Vertical Corp. I'll forward you details of the meeting. They already withdrew funding because we wouldn't give them an exclusive patent, but he's offering the formula in exchange for a share. Looks like the cure folder is password locked, but once we get the formula, we'll test it on-
3: TRANS IDEOLOGY
2: me. Sorry, Doc. <sharp inhale> well, Bub is finally canceled for good. Sadly, Dr. Kier was bitten, and we had to take him out, too. Rest in peace, Graham Kier. He never did anything to deserve my knee, and that makes him a truly rare man. As for Bub... Well, if I can't say anything nice…
4: That's our test subject gone. Next time somebody turns, we should try to capture rather than kill him. You
2: try restraining a zombie without getting bitten.
4: You did what you had to. Just saying. Anyway, Dr. Tate is next in line to take over Cure Development. She should probably have been in charge the whole time. And the mysterious Mr. Morrell from Miskatonic is taking over Don Levy's William Dyer research project.
2: Okay, my right's here.
4: Stay safe, Golgitta. And when you get to Don Levy, do me one favor.
2: Anything. Break his balls. Permanently. With pleasure. I'd love to stay with you babe, but we all have to make sacrifices.
4: Maybe you could stay. Maybe the zombie plague is nothing to worry about. What? Only liberals care about the zombie plague. Oh no. Why you neo-lib, rad-lib, impo-lib.
2: Why hate white looking glass? Get the chains ready.
0: Cancel culture.
2: Sorry, I'm going to get the cure for you, too. And as this fucker Don Levy's balls break for good, he'll know it's because he left you in danger. See you when the fat lady sings, Motsura. Okay. No Fate Project Report Timeline Z3. We finally reached November 2020. In November 2019, we received a message from an alternate November 2020. In a timeline where the red-brown zombie plague had defeated humanity and both of us fell to the virus, the future message gave us an advantage in fixing our timeline, and now we've caught up. We won through no fault of our own. Just a few days ago, the plague seemed unbeatable. The attempt to generate an alternate timeline utopia failed. The attempt to recuperate the cure succeeded too late, and the final blow came in a dark horse in the race. The zombies had already infected... 25% 25% of the US population. Turns out Professor Don Levy had the cure for months and was sitting on it until the value skyrocketed. I caught up with Don Levy in San Francisco just in time to stop him from selling the cure to Vertical Corp. He was naked without his dire station tech. Oh! Ah! I left the Vertical Corp suits intact, but they got the message. So we got the cure, and the No Fate Project gave the formula to the World Health Organization on the condition it be administered free of charge. Even so, healthcare systems are already overstretched with not one, but two pandemics. Then help came from an unexpected place.
6: We were miraculously saved at the zero hour by a koala fish mutant bird.
4: (laughs) Yes, the ancient Antarctic egg we're investigating hatched, revealing an amphibious kaiju, a bizarre chimera with thick white fur. The kaiju proceeded to blast eucalyptus breath, counteracting the plague. Starting at Dire Station and going on a world tour. I recovered in hours after the eucalyptus blast.
2: I'm glad you're back to normal, babe. Anyway, the Protector first headed through the Pacific, helping New Zealand and various Pacific Islands on the way. It just reached the California coast today, so I'm gonna stick around for some kaiju watching. I'm hoping it'll destroy Silicon Valley, personally. Take that, zuckerfuck. Do we have a better name than Koala Fish Mutant Bird?
4: Dr. Tate calls it the Antarctic Protector. That works. She also said in a very strange station meeting that we should all pledge allegiance
2: to it. Morell and I were the only ones who disagreed. Pretty sure Morell disagreed for the wrong reasons.
4: Yeah, the mysterious Mr. Morell from Miskatonic has something else going on. Anyway, Tate delivered a very slick PowerPoint presentation, making a convincing case that the Antarctic Protector is the first scientifically verifiable object of faith. Then she handed out leaflets for something called the Global Protection Society. Morell openly threw his in the bin, but everyone else is really into it. Base life gets weirder by the day.
2: I regret missing that PowerPoint presentation. She has a knack for those. The animated transitions and everything. Oh, man. Uh, so what do you make of Cassandra Tate? She looks like
4: Tilda Swinton. That cyan stone necklace is pretty.
2: Aside from her taste in jewelry, I've seen what she looks like. What do you make of her character?
4: She really takes the no Fate project mission
2: statement to heart. Reversing the sixth mass extinction?
4: Yeah, she's a believer, for better or worse. Like us. I think she's kind of a den mother to the other woman on the station. Robinson and Mills worship her.
2: Well, I hope for better. Can we trust her? I
4: think so, actually. Just stay
2: critical-minded. Always. We should probably be more worried about the giant koala fish mutant bird. It seems to be a benevolent
4: kaiju. It destroys a lot of buildings, but I think that's just clumsiness. So kaiju exists now. To be continued.
0: based on sworn testimony can you prove that it didn't happen we once laughed at the horseless carriage the airplane the telephone the electric light vitamins radio and even television and now some of us laugh at outer space god help us in the future